Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Jajawarong and the Wadawarong people of the Eastern Kulin Nation and we wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. We would also like to pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening. The Hungarian consult in Cleveland, Cleveland? <laughs> Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland, Ohio. As a biophysicist for the Cleveland, Cleveland. Why do I keep saying Cleveland? Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. <clears throat> Hi, welcome to Chick Street. This is the podcast about chicks in history or chicks that have been left out of history, more to the point. I'm Annie and there's Phoebe. Hello. Over I'm there. Waving. I hope you can see me waving. She's waving. <laughs> I can see her waving. How are you going? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks. How are you? You're great. I'm great. Yeah. I feel good. I just told you I, I went for a, a cold plunge. In the and reservoir, my and my reaction was, "You're an idiot." You're an idiot. <laughs> I needed to just. <laughs> I think it's made me go loopy. Uh, no, I needed to shake myself out of a, a funk, snap myself out of a funk, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. worked. Yep. Well, that's good. Here I even, am. Even if you have, you know, got hypothermia, whatever. <laughs> totally. I know. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's very popular, that whole cold plunge, you mm-hmm. know, push push past your discomfort and yeah. all of that stuff. But for me, it's not really, I don't do that for the discomfort of it. It's just, I need to be in water. Yeah. Yep. I need Your to be. Water baby. Yeah, I need to be immersed in water. Having a bath's not really the same thing, although that can work sometimes. But, yeah, it's more just weightlessness in mm. water and floating yep. for a while. Though I didn't float for long because it is 13 degrees in Castlemaine <laughs> today and I think the water was probably about three. So <laughs> Ooh, that's but fresh. It was very fresh. But the other reason why I decided to do it is because I've been watching a TV show called Bad Sisters. Okay, tell me more. It's brilliant. It's on mm-hmm. Apple TV, mm-hmm. and it's created uh, um, by Sharon Horgan, and she also stars in it. So, Sharon Horgan, she's one of my all-time favorite actresses and writers. She wrote mm-hmm. Divorce, you know that Sarah Jessica Parker yeah, yeah. show that um, she did, which I wasn't a massive fan of. That show, I, I think, mm. because I couldn't get past. Sarah Jessica Parker yeah, not she's, being Carrie. Yeah, she's a bit pigeonholed bit, yeah, in that Yeah, it's character. very hard to see yeah. her sort of as something else. She has written another show called Catastrophe, which is mm-hmm. incredible. If you like kind of relationship, kind of dialogue, really good dialogue, like really good writing. She writes mm-hmm. really well. Anywho, so she has a new show called Bad Sisters and it's set in Dublin and it's mm-hmm. set kind of down on the coast of Dublin and 
it's beautiful. Like the houses are just, you know, they're on kind of these windy, amazing cliff tops and they go to this place called the 40 foot and they go swimming and it's, and it's fucking freezing. So it's like, (laughs) it's a glass nipple cutting situation, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Nipple glass cutting situation, I should say. But they go and, and as part of the as part because there's sister the, the show's about sis, five sisters I think and they um so that's what they do as a bit of a ritual they all get together and they go down to the the pool the local mm-hmm. pool which is basically they're just swimming in the sea and it looks freezing and they you know it's 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 Dublin so it would be you know. yeah but I got a little bit I got a bit I got a bit um uh, inspired to go down and I thought if they can do it and it's in if these actresses can do it yeah. in Ireland, yeah. you know, in their heated pool. <laughs> no, they actually had to do it. Do they? Oh, it's yeah. method acting. Oh, they actually had to do it because there was um because I've gone deep, bit obsessed with it. They've gone. They had a a Q and A, Q&A, I think, on Twitter, and I saw some of it, and it was they what they someone said what was the hardest part of filming, and they said the swimming in oh. the um in the forty forty yeah. foot. So, but anyway, it's a great show. Watch it. It's it's about five sisters trying to plot the murder of <laughs> their sister's husband, who is an absolute dick. Like oh, he just probably deserves it. Then oh, he hundred percent deserves it. Yep, mm-hmm. he's just such a cunt. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, it's 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 comedy. It's like dark, dark yep. kind of comedy. So. Yep. Anywho. And Irish accents to throw in there for good measure. An Irish Irish mm. accents, right. Ah, to be Reed. sure, to be sure. Excellent, excellent, <laughs> yes. Oh, potato, potato. <laughs> potato, potatoes, that's right. <laughs> Dublin <laughs> accents. I just actually changed my Siri voice to an Irish man. Just I like Did to you? Keep it fresh. Yeah. Inspired. Do you know what's funny? When I do research, um, I, you know, say if I'm, looking through lists of names and quite often historically names will change because, you know, someone might not have been literate so they couldn't spell their name or write their name so it was all Mm. done by rote. So sometimes I'll be like, oh, okay, so they're from Scotland. How else could this name be like how how else could it be read or spelled? Like so quite often, yeah, yeah. So quite often, I will do an accent in my head and think, <laughs> oh, okay, well that could work, you know. <laughs> That's it's hilarious. hard hitting research here. Let's get into it. Let's um yeah. first of all, we gotta we gotta hear all about your historical fact. <laughs> uh, you'd be hard pressed to find someone who didn't play with, eat, or at least know what Play-Doh was. Correct. Yes, mm, Play-Doh. It's... God, the smell. I can smell I know. it now. Mm. Salty. So- yeah. Mm. Yep. Mm, yep. It smells like little kids' hands, you know, that yeah, sort of yes. smell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But did you know that it wasn't invented as a kid's toy or product? The original use of Play-Doh was actually wallpaper cleaner to remove soot and marks from walls. Really? Yes. I did not know that. The company that invented Play-Doh, which wasn't its name at the time, was established in 1912 and the pliable product was its biggest seller until it started to wane in about the 1950s. So with America and the world post-World War II beginning to transition away from coal heating to gas and electricity, Mm. the Use of Play-Doh for cleaning um, products was becoming outdated and unnecessary. So this also meant a huge downturn for the manufacturing company that was in charge of it. But 
hello, who swoops in but a woman named Kay? Of course. I know. Of the course. Sis- I know. She's the sister-in-law of the guy that um, was trying to save the company, so it was mm-hmm. his family's company. Mm. Kay was a kindergarten teacher and saw the potential in this non-toxic modelling clay for kids. She took the clay to her classroom for the kids to play with and then demonstrated it to her brother-in-law, Joseph, who liked what he saw, and he in turn took it back to the company's headquarters to show them of um, show them the proposal for the newly repurposed product. Mm-hmm. And I, as far as I'm aware, Kay got credit for this, so he was just Good. taking it back there. Good. So Kay's discovery turned the company's fortunes around and when it took on a new moniker in about 1956, there was only the one colour, which was white. Um, And then with this new resurgence and it got picked up, it went to trade fairs and that sort of thing Um, and teachers really loved it. With the new resurgence, it saw the inclusion of the other basic colours that we would know, so red, blue and yellow. Um, And then, you know, today there's a whole range of colours. Yes. So parents, you have a woman to thank for keeping the kids occupied and creative and maybe also for making a product that can get stuck in your carpet. It's funny. You mentioned a couple of things there and the the chick I'm talking about today has to do with architecture and walls and houses. There you go. I know. It's like you knew. Oh, it's like we knew. So... Just, you know, heads up, we don't actually know what each other are talking about we which don't. week. We don't know which chick we're picking. We don't, but that's a really yeah. nice kind of segue to, what, nice segue. to who I'm going to talk about yeah. today. So I'm going to go straight into it and then I'm going to give you a little bit of um, history while I'm in there. So normally mm-hmm. we kind of set the scene. but <laughs> While I'm in there. While we're in there, while we're in the story. Um, normally we kind of set the scene a little bit, but I'm going to do that as we go. So... Maria Telks, and I hope I'm saying that right, Telks, T-E-L-K-E-S, Telks, was born in Budapest in Hungary in 1900. She attended elementary and high school in Budapest and then she went on to receive a bachelor's in physical chemistry in 1920 and a PhD in 1924 from the University of Budapest. So I'm going to give you a little bit of history around the education scene in Budapest, Hungary. Mm-hmm. So in the early 1800s, girls were often educated in private institutions and church-run institutions where they learned about family life and some knowledge regarding humanities. <laughs> and they were segregated, boys mm. and girls. Um, in the second half of the 1800s, women were um, coming into the workforce and they were hired as secretaries, but they could also work at the Hungarian railways, the post service, or they could become elementary school teachers. Mm -hmm. In 1868, a law demanded that the same curriculum be taught to boys and girls, but even with this major change, even um, though the girls could study a lot more subjects, their institutions were not regular high schools Mm -hmm. still. On the 19th of December 1895, the Minister of Religion and Public Education allowed women to study medicine, humanities and pharmaceutical studies and the first woman to study in higher education was in 1897, which is pretty early, Mm. I think, compared to some of the... Yeah, the Europeans have, you know... They're onto it, aren't they? uh, Yeah. 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 I mean, it's the same, it's the same situation with them being able to study but not being recognised. Yeah, yeah, and then being able to work in the the field. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And there was a time when aspiring female students could only apply to universities with the individual permission of the Minister of Culture. And from 1904, only women with outstanding results could apply. Uh, In 1927, more courses were made available for women, but they could still not study law or engineering. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Sure. Okay, so after Maria graduated, she moved to the US where she visited a relative who was the Hungarian consul in Cleveland, Ohio. And about a year later, she accepted a position as a biophysicist for the Cleveland Clinic Foundation to investigate the energy produced by living organisms. This is also known as biomass energy, um, and it is energy generated or produced by living or once living organisms. The most common biomass materials used for energy are plants such as corn and soy. The energy from these organisms can be burned to create heat or converted into electricity. There you go. That's a science lesson for today. (laughs) Bit of a science lesson. (laughs) One of her research subjects was also to create a photoelectric device that recorded brain waves. So think early MRI type scanner. Um, brain tissues were made to glow by their own inner light, giving off a strange radiance that looked like some sort of mystic halo. The Chicago Daily Tribune reported in 1934, just science, right? Made oh. to glow by their own inner light. Like, but how? Oh, I know. Way over my head. I'm not a science I, brain. It's a lot. I'm like, but how? Mm. I get it, but oh, just, yeah. Anyway, um, she then went on to work at Westinghouse. Developing metal alloys for thermocouples that would turn heat into electricity. In 1837, she became a US citizen and she hears about MIT's new solar energy program. Mm-hmm. Um, she writes to the university to ask for a job and surprise, surprise, she's hired. <gasps> right? Wow. I know. You thought I was going to say that she got rejected. Yeah, yeah I really was. <laughs> She actually got hired, which is just insane. However, with the outbreak of World War II, she was reassigned to work with a guy called Hoyt C. Hottle. (laughs) Hoyt C. Hottle? Oh, Hoyt C. Toitsy. Hoyt C. Toitsy. Whom was chairman of the Solar Energy Fund at MIT. Uh, And she was working with him to design a portable solar desalinator, which was a balloon-like device that aviators who were downed at sea could use to make drinkable water and it also helped solve water problems in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Mm -hmm. However, its initial deployment was delayed until the end of the war, even though it was made for the war, Mm -hmm. because hoity-toity faffed around looking for the best deal from manufacturers and was repeatedly renegotiating manufacturing contracts so Mm. all the while the war's going on and the war actually ends and this invention that they've developed because of him is um, delayed. So this obviously pissed Maria off and while they did have personality clashes they had one common goal and that was to find new ways to use the energy radiated by the sun. Together they wrestled with basic questions that solar engineers continue to confront even today. How can sunlight be efficiently converted into other forms of energy? How can the resulting heat or electricity be stored and put to use? And can solar technologies produce energy cheaply enough to be useful in everyday life? While Maria was a big believer in being able to harness solar energy for heating, especially for housing, 
hoitsy toitsy <laughs> was less was less enthusiastic. Of course um, he was. Of course he was. And because it probably wasn't his fucking idea. Yeah, exactly. Uh, many Americans were very excited about the idea of using the sun to warm their homes. The possibility of free heating was so attractive, especially to a generation that had endured the Great Depression, mm. wartime fuel rationing and oil panics. A couple of uh, architects had actually attempted to build passive solar homes, which use walls of south-facing windows to maximise the home's warmth in winter, mm-hmm. whereas in Australia we would have north-facing windows yes. to maximise our sun in winter. Interest to build the first fully solar-heated home grew amongst academics and universities, not just with architects. A guy called uh, called Godfrey Lowell Cabot, Cabot or Cabot, perhaps, a wealthy industrialist, became obsessed with energy and solar energy in particular, and he ends up funding a lot of the research at both Harvard University and at MIT. Mm-hmm. Maria was a fervent believer in solar energy's potential to replace uh, limited fossil fuels such as coal and gas. Solar energy, she once wrote, is the greatest untapped energy resource of the world and its utilisation should be one of the most important and fruitful projects. She's way ahead of her time. Isn't she? It's incredible. Mm. Um, Maria became deeply engaged in the challenge of designing practical solar heating systems, identifying that solar heat storage would be the most critical problem. Water, which could only store so much heat per gallon, required large, expensive tanks. Solid materials such as rock were even less efficient. More promising were phase change materials that absorb or release heat when they change from a solid to a liquid. She became fascinated with one such substance called Glauber's salt or sodium sulfate. <laughs> Glauber. Glauber. It's like a big boogie. <laughs> Glauber salt, which is widely used in the chemical industry. Her idea was to put containers of Glauber's salt behind a glass wall where they would absorb large amounts of heat during the day and release it as the building cooled. Her approach was originally supported by hoity-toity, <laughs> saying that her contribution may make a big difference in the outcome of their project. But as the head of the team, he was constantly being approached to work on all kinds of projects and the idea of just um, coming up with a way to heat somebody's home using the sun was way down on his list. He was mm. like not important. He was quite sceptical about heating using the sun given the world's ample supply of relatively cheap fossil fuels and the emergence of nuclear nuclear power. And he mocked those who cited the seemingly vast amount of energy available in sunlight. Maria, however, easily saw that the exploitation of solar energy would only benefit mankind and she would spend the rest of her career studying, proposing or building solar energy projects and vigorously defending their potential against sceptics like hoity-toity. She likened them. I just love that we're calling him hoity-toity now. <laughs> I can't even remember what he's saying. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> she likened them 
to people who had preferred horses to early automobiles, Mm -hmm. focusing too much on tangible short-term results over the long-term benefits. Solar energy is the cleanest and healthiest fuel, she wrote. While the field still faced many challenges, sunlight will be used as a source of energy sooner or later anyway. Why wait? So that's in 1940-something. Yeah. Like she's – it's it's incredible that she's mm. kind of you know tapped into this. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of scientists and academics had, and they were thinking, how could we sort of do this? But she seemed to really be at the head of the charge, trying yeah. to sort of go, "This is important, guys. Mm. This is important." You know, yeah. hello, hello, and we're still like, trying to <sighs> convince people that it's important, right? I know. Oh, the environment. Oh, in that pool. But there's plenty oh, of fossil fuels around. Yeah. yeah. In 1946, she attempted her idea of using Glauber's salt as the phase change material in the design of a solar house, though initially promising the substance turned out to be troublesome. During testing for the team's second solar house in 1946, the material stratified into its different component substances and corroded the containers until they leaked. Hoity Toity blamed Maria for imprecise assessment of the heat storage process, but Maria said it had more to do with poorly supervising the graduate students who ran the experiment, saying they had failed to keep the building at a steady temperature as required. Many of her colleagues in the team sided with Hoity and also (laughs) clashed with her on a personal level, in part because she was assertive, but also because she was the only woman on the team. So although she she had the full support of the university president, she was reassigned to another department and um, although she wasn't involved in the solar fund group anymore, the university president encouraged her to continue working on the problem independently. While she was still at MIT, she befriends a well-known modernist architect by the name of Eleanor Raymond Mm -hmm. who eventually put her in touch with Amelia Peabody a wealthy Boston socialite. Amelia agrees to commission Maria and Eleanor to build a solar house on her estate in Dover, Massachusetts. The house will become known as the Dover Sun House. Maria went back to her idea of using Glauber's salt and designed it so that the salt would melt in the sun, trap the heat, and then release it as it cooled and hardened. The three women completed their Dover Sun House in 1951, described in the press as looking like an overgrown chicken coop. It was dominated by a giant attic with a south-facing wall composed entirely of tall glass paper glass-plated collectors. For heat storage, warmed air was blown into spaces containing 3,500 gallons of Glauber's salt housed in metal drums. The system worked with the sunlight passing through glass windows, which would heat the air inside the glass. The heated air then passed through a metal sheet into another airspace. From there, fans moved the air to a storage compartment filled with the salt, the sodium sulfate. Mm-hmm. These compartments were in between the walls, heating the house as the salt cooled. Just extraordinary, like Um, seriously. And it's actually Dover House is known, Dover Sun House is known as the first fully solar heated house Mm -hmm. to ever be made. Yeah. That way, not just the passive with the the windows and using just the heat um, and not uh, being able to store it I think was the difference, Mm -hmm. Um, store it and then use it. Um, 
For the first two years, the house was successful, receiving tremendous publicity and drawing crowds of visitors. Popular science hailed it as a hailed it as perhaps more important scientifically than the atomic bomb. Mm. While the house did not use coal or oil for heating, the fans needed to circulate air ran up the electric bill. Mm-hmm. And as it had during the MIT test, the Globus salt stratified into a liquid and solid layers and the metal containers corroded and leaked. By the third winter, the family who was living in the house um, soon had electric heaters in all the rooms and the solar heating system was removed and an oil furnace was later installed in the attic. So she tried. But three years later, nada. In 1953, George Russell Harrison, the Dean of Studies at MIT, called for a review of the solar fund at MIT due to concerns about its lack of productivity. The resulting report tended to promote hoity-toity's views and disparaged Maria's views of harnessing heat from the sun and she was fired by MIT altogether in 1953 after the report came out. The report even went as far as disparaging Maria's intellect and character. She has a wide circle of influential acquaintances who are impressed with her enthusiasm for solar heating and her apparent intelligence, the report said. She supported outside experiments namely the Dover Sun House, that proved to be either grossly over-engineered or to be failures. The report described Maria as having strong opinions that she expressed forcibly and that stated several people had found it impossible to agree with her. Oh, no. A woman standing up for herself and her views? Right. So from here she goes to the New York University College of Engineering where she continues to work on solar energy research. I just love that she's trying all this stuff and even though it's not working, she's get like she's, she's getting there, like she's onto mm, something. Yeah. But, and she's not going to let these mofos keep her down. Mm. So around this time, it's about 1953, she received a grant from the Ford Foundation for about $45,000 to develop a solar-powered oven so people Mm -hmm. who lack the technology around the world would be able to heat things. The criteria for this project was that the oven needed to be able to get as high as 350 degrees and needed to be easy to use. The result was an innovation that worked even better than anticipated. It was useful for tribal Indian usage in remote reservations. There were extra safety features so that children could also use them. While she invented the solar oven, she also discovered a better way for farmers to dry their crops using the same technology. This technology was extremely important for society as a whole and is still used today. Mm. Maria spent several years in industry as a director of solar energy at the Curtis Wright Company, working on materials for use in extreme conditions such as space at Cryotherm and again as the director of solar energy at Melpar. As part of her work at Cryotherm, she helped to develop materials for use in the Apollo and the Polaris missions. Oh. Just a little bit of something something on the side. Clever cookie. In 1964, she spoke at the first International Conference of Women Engineers and Scientists in New York. And after briefly teaching at the University of Pennsylvania and working in industry, she found a home at the University of Delaware, where she expanded her research to include a new breed of solar technology, electricity generated photovoltaic cells. Oh my goodness. In 1971, she and her colleagues built 
the first house to generate both heat and electricity from the sun, helping kick off a nationwide solar boom. By 1971, she starts to develop a bit of a following and becomes a star in the world of solar heating research. She's even dubbed the Sun Queen. But this soon fades as nuclear power and cheap uh, Middle Eastern petroleum conquered the energy industry. She spent the rest of her career trying to develop ways to use solar energy and mm. to, to not use fossil fuels. And on the 2nd of December 1995, at the age of 94, she passed away. And in 2021, she was inducted into the Inventors Hall of Fame. So that is the story of Maria Telks and how a woman is behind, you know, part of the, the solar the solar boom that sort of came in the 70s after all of these trials that she'd done and she knew there was a way but she just didn't have the materials available for her to be able to kind of do what she wanted to do and even that she, like, had identified the problem. Yeah, but even to have the courage of her convictions for that long I to know. really persist in, you know, this is what, this is what I'm doing. No one's going to stop me. Exactly. And I'll I'll go until I find an answer. And I just I also love that she's, you know, in all of the stuff, it's like she talks about mankind, like it's for the good of mankind mm. and just that this is, you know, we need to we need to be harnessing energy from the sun because, with, you know, fossil fuels and, and pillaging and taking from the earth like we do is not going to be mm. around and we're now we're dealing with that had yeah. people listened to a woman back in the freaking 40s mm. perhaps it might it not have be gotten, here yeah mm. you know and just even like that report of like oh this is not really doing anything and this woman's being difficult and let's just fire her mm. you know instead of actually going hang on a minute she's onto something here yeah just incredible so Maria Telks, thank you for your service and for bringing solar-powered energy mm. into the world. And Eleanor was actually a, um, a, has a really good story as well that the mm. modernist architect, you know, who yep. was really big on trying to develop uh, energy saving houses and, you yep. know, green kind of houses. So, um, yeah, she's special shout out to her as well. And then and also Amelia, who was the, the woman who believed in them enough to give them money yeah. and to finance it. And I love the it three, three women. Yeah. 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 So that's excellent. It. Excellent. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. As always, give us a review, sling us a review, follow us on all the things. And we'll uh, be in your ears again next week. Yeah. See you. Bye. See you. Bye. See you. Bye. <laughs>